Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. And the word of the Lord reads. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might be, that he, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Randy Smith, the pastor and author, once wrote, Why do we in the church oftentimes only see our superficial differences? Why can't we see each other as we are? ultimately alike, redeemed by the blood, united with Christ, loved by God, adopted into the same family. As we uh, come back to chapter 14, I have to tell you that as we have been going through Romans, some of these chapters have been much easier to work through than others. Some of them just have details right on the surface that are just easy to grab a hold of. Um, especially the ones on theology, Romans chapter eight, you know, the, you know, the, our glorious hope, Romans nine. Uh, and then when I begin to read about Romans 14, um, I really just wondered how in the Lord would, how he was going to use this to, to edify us as a church family. Um, some things seem kind of simple, but, uh, the more I read it and the more I studied it, I begin to see that there is more and more here. For us to think about. And as we come back to chapter 14 of our series on the letter to Romans, the thing that we must, I think, keep in mind as central to our understanding is the supernatural love of God. We must keep in view his overwhelming love, the love that he has shown us, the love that God continues to lavish upon us, and the love that he has poured into our hearts so that it would flow out into the rest of the world. It is the love of God that we find that is the foundation and the substance of the gospel. The fact that God would send his son into the world, as we will celebrate on Christmas, and that he came into the world to live the perfect life that we couldn't live in order to make us righteous and then to die in our place, bearing you know, bearing God's own wrath against us so that we can be free from the penalty of sin 
It's an overwhelming picture of God's love. The truth that while we were yet sinners in rebellion to God, suppressing the truth about him in unrighteousness, worshiping all manner of created things, deserving nothing from God but his, but his justice and wrath with no hope of our own, but yet God, by his mercy, redeemed us through the faith that we have in Christ and even more has made us a part of his family is a glorious demonstration of God's love. As Paul so clearly said, God shows, he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even more, because of that love and the gospel, we are at peace with God. And not just simply in the sense of uh, of a truce, but in the sense of well-being. We're at peace with God, and even more, we have access to his unlimited grace. And we have the very love of God, as Paul says, poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it is the love of God that assures us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is the love of God that assures us that there is no separation from those who are in Christ Jesus from his love. And it is the love of God that that, that assures us that God has promised to work all things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. This is the love that he lavishes upon us And it's because of this love that he chooses us and sustains us and guarantees the hope that we have in him. And it is a supernatural love that wells up inside of us so that we can love him back and so that we can love those around us. And it's in light of this love that Paul says that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and living lives pleasing to him. And what pleases him is for us to love him and adore him and worship him. In fact, our again, our catechism asks, what is it, the, the chief end of man? What's the purpose of man? To, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God wants us to love him in spirit and in truth, and he wants us to shine the light of his love for the rest of the world through us. He wants us to love those around us, reflecting in our own lives God's love and his goodness. And this begins, this kind of love begins not with extraordinary acts of religious devotion, but begins with simply being a good neighbor to those that are around us, as Paul says. And it begins by being a good citizen in the context within the the place that God has put us. That is how we demonstrate the love of God. And the way that we do this is to saturate every part of our lives with the gospel and avail ourselves of the ordinary, regular means of grace. The day-to-day things, the, the reading of the word, the prayer, the fellowship, the worship. And central to all of this and us living out this love in the world around us is how we live in community with one another, how we live in the family of God. And and, and you know what's central to, to that? Love. The love that we have for one another. The God-given, God-inspired love that we have for one another. 
the love that members of the family of God are to have for each other. And this is, is a vital part of Paul's understanding of what it means to live in light of the gospel. It is to love brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the love that we have for one another, which is, by the way, not a man-like love, but a Christ-like love, a sacrificial love, a selfless love. Jesus, in his own words, said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And he qualifies that and said, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then he says, by this, the people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is why Paul says for us to not think too highly of ourselves and that we are to serve one another and that we're to submit to one another and we're to use the gifts that God has given us to build each other up individually, but also corporately as the body of Christ. It is in this, it is this love, the love that we have for each other as a family of God that is the lifeblood of our mission in the world. And it is the, this context, it is this love that is the context that we have for chapters 14 and 15 of Romans. And so the first thing that we need to, to just accept as we have been talking about is that being part of the family of God for those who are in Christ and part of the family of God is that, is that being part of the family is not optional. It's not optional. It's essential to a vibrant, mature Christian faith. You were not saved by God so that you can spend the rest of your life in isolation practicing an individual religion. You were saved by grace through faith for God's glory and to be a part of his family. Secondly, the supernatural love is what pushes us to seek unity with each other, even at the expense of uniformity. As we talked about last week, as Christians, we are to to be united in the essentials of our faith. But in things that are not essential, we need to be gracious with one another. We need to recognize that not only do we all have different backgrounds and many different perspectives on a number of different things, we have freedom in Christ. And in chapter 14, Paul talks about three areas where Christians have freedom, and they are the area of food, specifically meat that was sacrificed to idols. Uh, number two is the day a person esteems for worship. And number three, drinking wine. And these areas were important because they represented foundational cultural differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. They represented deep divides between the people in the same church, culturally speaking. And both of these groups had strong opinions and deep convictions about all of these things and more. And Paul, in his letter, does something that neither group would have expected. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't address their opinions and say, you're right on this and you're right on that. Instead, what he says is, don't argue over these things. Don't quarrel about them. He doesn't, he says, just accept each other. Accept each other. And not just as people who simply tolerate one another, right? There's that kind of acceptance where you accept somebody just because you have to, right? But he doesn't say accept each other just 
so we can tolerate each other. He says, accept each other. The Bible makes it clear, but accept each other as family, as close family members. Don't allow yourself to become divided over these things, even the things that you feel very strongly about. Now, Paul didn't say these things were not important. And he didn't say that these things weren't important to the groups of people, but he said, uh, don't get divided about them. Out of love for each other, accept one another, even though you have very different perspectives, even though you have deep convictions about these things. You are unified in Christ as the body of Christ, as the family of God, despite your differences. And if we're honest, this is the part of the letter of the Romans that we in America have, and even in this community, have missed. I know that for me, when I read Romans, this hasn't been the part that I spend the most of my time thinking about. I think about the glorious gospel of grace. I think about the verses like, um, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But the gift is everlasting life, right? I memorize verses like all things work out the, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, Right or in the, uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right, chapter fourteen isn't the the place where we have where have spent most of of my study in my own personal life. But but here it is. Here it is right here in black and white. It's so important that Paul takes a better part of two chapters to talk about how we are to live in this community of faith. This is a clear admonition for the family of God to not allow itself to become divided on non-essential things. And again, as we talked about last week, Paul didn't argue over the non-essential things. He said, don't argue about them and don't despise each other and don't judge each other, but instead be unified and accept each other. And and in, in the next few verses, Paul helps to see how we are to live that out. Because let's be honest, sometimes the things that that we take very personally and seriously could cause us to rub up against other people who are very different from us. Some of the things that we hold personally dear, especially in our political climate, can cause each other to chafe each other. I'm going to tell you right now, one of the most disconcerting things I've ever seen in the last 10 years has been the number of people who have stopped talking to each other simply because of who they voted for. And I don't care what, which side of that you're on, right? One of the things that really has frustrated me is seeing people to stop, stop communicating with each other because, because of, because of the, the vaccine. Some people who, who think you should take it says, if you don't take it, you're not my friend. And some people who said, if you do take it, then you're an idiot and you're not my friend. We have found reasons to not be unified. But here, Paul, again, continues to talk about it. And in the next few verses, he tells us how to live that out. And he says in verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I think this right here, I think this is the essence of the issue of unity for us as believers. That each be convinced in his own mind. 
This is the essence of unity and living together and love. Even though we may see some things very differently, the essence of our unity is that we all understand that each person, every person must be convinced in his own mind. Now, the word mind here is the same word that Paul uses in chapter 12, where he writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he says, by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and perfect and acceptable and perfect. The word mind in the Greek means a person's thinking and reasoning ability. And it's the idea that if you are in Christ, you have your mind renewed by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And it is with that thinking faculty, that renewed thinking faculty that each person is to to work through things and become fully convinced in their own mind. Every person needs to work through and think through and study issues with their renewed minds. Each person individually needs to wrestle with these different things for themselves. And they need to do so until they're convinced. Now, this this word convinced means to bring to full measure or to be satisfied. It's the idea of working through the details so that you come to make up your own mind. Each person has to decide for themselves on some of these issues. But what we need to confess is oftentimes, what we have to confess is oftentimes our strong opinions and deep convictions about things, some of these things that we have, sometimes we really haven't actually studied out the issues, if we'll confess that. There are issues that people have been willing to lose friends over. There are issues where people are willing to leave the church. There are issues where people are willing to look down at their brothers and sisters in Christ, that if they were honest about them, right, that they wouldn't, they haven't actually spent a whole lot of time in deep reflection and study over these things. And even worse, some people haven't even spent that much time in the word about these things. For example, in the in the churches around the world and in churches in this community right now, there are people who have in their minds that they have made up their minds and will say without a doubt that the Bible outright condemns the consumption of alcohol for all Christians. There are people who will tell you right and look you right in the eye and say that is without a doubt the truth. And some churches would even remove you from fellowship over that issue. But this position is not something that you can support with the scriptures. And you can't support it even throughout history. Not only does Paul make it clear that this is an area of Christian freedom, the Bible, rather than condemning consumption of alcohol, in some cases encourages it. For example, Paul tells Timothy himself to drink some wine instead of just water. For his stomach ailments. Jesus turned gallons of water into wine for a wedding. And I have heard some people try to get around that and say, well, that was through photosynthesis and he made grape juice. Come on, brothers and sisters, let's be honest with each other and historically accurate. That's not what it was, right? Even at the Last Supper, when Jesus passed around the cup for the Lord's table, and he said that this is the blood of the covenant, do this in remembrance of me, that cup contained in it fruit of the vine or wine. 
Now hear me. I am not advocating that you all start drinking alcohol. Okay? I'm not saying go home and party it up. Because I understand and have seen firsthand the, the, the dangers and the destructive nature of, of alcohol addiction on, on people and families and individuals. I've seen how people drinking to excess can lead to really bad decisions. And I believe that there are some people that need to absolutely at all costs avoid it all together for their life. They just cannot be around it. But in light of that, I defy you to prove your position from the scriptures. Go to the Bible, right? And don't just pick out a few verses that, 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 that prove your little point. Actually study the entire scriptures from back to front. And what you'll find is you can't justify that position. You just can't do it. This is an area where we as Christians have to be really careful not to hold people to a standard that's not there. If you're actually studying scriptures, be honest. It may, you can't make your case. The Bible prohibits excess, absolutely. It prohibits drunkenness, absolutely, but not consumption. In fact, this is an area that Paul makes clear is related to Christian freedom. And each person needs to be convinced for themselves in this, in this issue. Each person needs to wrestle with this themselves. And the thing that we need to realize is we need to be convinced in our own minds, right? And when I say own minds, our own minds. And this is important for the unity of believers because the truth is we've got to need to be careful not to bind the consciences of other people over things that we feel convictions about, especially the things that are not related or essential to our faith and worship of God. If your convictions won't permit you to have a beer or drink a glass of wine, then praise the Lord. Don't do it. Right? Do not violate your conscience. As the word says that if you can't do it in faith, then it's sin. Right? But don't sit in judgment of your brother whose own conscience doesn't have the same conviction. And by the same token, if your conscience does say it's okay for you to have a drink with dinner, don't despise those who don't see it your way. Don't look down at them as if they're inferior to you. Each person needs to work through the issues for themselves. Each person needs to pray these things out. Each person needs to read the scriptures and seek wisdom on these things. One of the areas that has divided the church, again, during the pandemic is, is how involved people can be in each other's lives at that time. Some people believe that the church should have never closed. Some people believe that the church should have stayed closed. Some people believe that everyone has to wear a mask, while other people believe that if you wear a mask, you're a sissy and you lack faith. <laughs> Some people believed that if you get a vaccine somewhere, right, that, that you're a conspirator with the government. And then some people believe that, you know, if you get, if you don't get the vaccine, you don't love people and you don't love Jesus. And I say that not in jest. I've heard people say those words. Right? Many people in the church had strong opinions about these things. And a lot of people allowed them to divide themselves from the church. But the truth is most people, if you really press them, if you really press them about these things, they had strong opinions about them, but most people didn't do a whole lot of real academic research on these things. They made, 
They made decisions based on their wisdom and, and what they believed that was right for them. I once know many people in the church have strong opinions on many things, right? And they will just allow themselves to be divided with people, divided with people, even over silly reasons. In fact, I even knew a woman one time who ruined her relationship with her grandson and her grandson's wife. It was stupid. The reason was the grandmother thought that it was an outright sin to throw food away rather than put it in the refrigerator as a leftover. She believed with all her heart that it's a sin. She said, I do not like that woman because she throws food away, and that's a sin. Now, why does she believe so strongly? Why is she so convinced about this that she's willing to destroy relationships over us? Because her mama said that it was a sin, and that, and mama said the Bible said that. But she never actually went to the scriptures to actually look that for herself. She didn't actually go to validate whether that was true or not. She just simply took on faith what she was told, and she was willing to be divided over such a silly issue. There are lots of issues we get divided over where we want to bind the consciences of other people, whether it's smoking or tattoos or Bible preferences or whether or not it's biblical to celebrate Christmas. This is the time of year where your social media feeds will be filled up with the videos of the people who want to convince you that celebrating Christmas is somehow a pagan holiday. right? And they want you to to believe them and then follow suit on telling all your friends and families how evil Christmas is. There are many people, many, many issues that people feel strongly about, but being convinced in their own minds for some, for some of them isn't enough for them. Some people just want to hold your conscience hostage to what they believe. And I think one of the biggest examples of this that I have experienced in my Christian life, which has been a stumbling block, actually was a stumbling block to my faith years ago, was the issue of the end times, especially now. There are people who feel so strongly about their theology that they want everyone to agree with them. And if you don't, then you're nuts. In fact, some even think that, that, that you're not even one of them. They, they, some people will even use the end times point of view as an, a test for orthodoxy. There are churches actually will prevent you from actually becoming a member if you don't see things the way that you want, the way they do. In fact, I remember Kim and I, when we were pretty young as Christians, we began attending a non-denominational church, and we were very fortunate that we felt like uh, to enjoy the worship, and we felt that it was uh, a good place for us to be, and we were excited to be there. And so we decided after a few months of faithful attendance that we wanted to get involved. We wanted to help. We believed that, you know, we believed in being part of the family of God and doing something. And so we decided that, hey, we want to clean the floors. Maybe we can, I can fix some things. I'm pretty handy. And, and this non-denominational church, they said that we don't believe in membership, but here's an application. Um, and here's our statement of faith. And I want you to hear me. I think statements of faith are important, right? I think that churches should tell you what we believe, right? But one of the mandatory things that they held out as you have to believe and makes, and they actually highlighted it in bold, uh, is that you had to believe and hold to their category of end times theology. Otherwise, you couldn't even pick up trash around the church as a volunteer. The document stated that I had to believe what they believed on an issue that really I've come to understand isn't really 
that important to the gospel itself. Now, Kim and I were still pretty young as Christians, right? And when we were, when he said, you have to believe this, I was like, okay, that's fine. Teach me. But I can't say I believe something until I actually know and have been taught and learned it. I'm not going to just take your word for it. I need to study this issue out for myself. So that wasn't, that wasn't on the table. Now, over the years, I've studied this issue and I can say that there are people that I know and respect who who I would gladly embrace as brothers and sisters in Christ, and I would welcome them right here into this church family who all have differing points of view on how things are going to work themselves out in the end of history. We all agree that Jesus is coming back. We all agree that he's coming back into victory and that he's going to set all things right. It's just the manner of exactly how those things work out is where people differ. And I can say with confidence that there is no consensus now on this issue, and there hasn't been throughout history. This has been something that people have talked about and debated about for many, many, many years. And what I've found is that sometimes there are people so dogmatic about what they believe, and they want to bind people's consciences to it. Those are the people typically that have not actually fully studied out the issues. And what I mean by that is, is that they have read the Bible with the with that lens on their mind, and they have read books by people who agree with them, but they've not actually went and actually studied out what other people believe and see on those issues. Very few people who are so adamant have read outside of their own assumptions. In fact, I actually talked to someone, and this person was just insisting that I hold their point of view, and I said, how many books have you read by authors outside of those you agree with? He said, None. Okay. So how many lectures or sermons or talks have you listened to by someone who has a different point of view than you on this? He said, none. I said, well, then how do you know what they actually, these other people and their perspectives actually believe? He said, well, the books that I agree with, tell me. Brothers and sisters, that's not really studying the issue, right? That's not really doing the homework. That's, that's living in an echo chamber, and it's more common than you might think. Now, now, I want you to hear me on this, okay? Um, I'm not saying that you have to read books and listen to lectures on every nuance of theology for you to make up your mind on some things for your conscience. Right? I mean, who has the time for all that? I mean, praise the Lord, I was able to read very widely for 11 years because of the support of this church family. And I have benefited from being able to read lots and lots and lots and lots of books and listen to lots and lots of lectures and study more than the average person. And I'm certainly grateful for that. Right. And so I'm not saying, right. That, that you need to read every book on every theological subject. You don't have to be an expert on the difference between premillennial, uh, uh, historical premillennialism or dispensational premillennialism. I always get tongue tied on that word. You don't need to be able to explain the difference between uh, the doctrines of divine simplicity and divine impassibility. Yeah. Look those up and, when you listen, read those books, you'll fall asleep really fast. But what I'm saying is what Paul is saying here is each person needs to come to the issues and become convinced in their own minds. And each person needs to decide for themselves, first of all, what's important to them and, and what it is that they believe about non-essential issues. But each person needs to be convinced themselves individually. And what we need to do is we need to respect each other and love each other enough to allow each other 
the opportunity to think through these issues and come to our own conclusions. That's really the definition of tolerance right there. The definition of respect and love is for us to love each other and allow each other the room to work through these things. That's what Paul is saying here. You feel strongly that, that the music that is best suited for the church is the piano and, and, and hymns out of the Red Hymn Book? Praise the, Lord, play, praise the Lord for that. Grateful that you're convinced of that. That's your opinion. You feel strongly that the best study Bible in the world in the history of humanity is the ESV study Bible? Praise the Lord. That's your opinion. You feel strongly about getting, not getting a tattoo? Praise the Lord. Don't get one. You feel strongly about that the Green Party best represents your political point of view and you feel like that will help you to honor God if you vote that way? Praise the Lord, then vote that way. That's your opinion. You feel like you can't eat meat because you hate the idea of an animal dying and so you have to choose veganism? I personally don't agree with you. And I certainly would have a lot to say about it if you asked me about it, right? But praise the Lord, be a vegan to your heart's content. That's your freedom in Christ, right? That's your opinion. What I ask is what Paul demands of all of us is that we allow each other to work through these things and be convinced in our own minds that we accept each other even when we don't see eye to eye on these things. Because what unites us, and here's here's the center of it, what unites us, the gospel, And Christ our King is greater than any of these other peripheral things that could threaten to separate us. That's the central truth right there. The gospel of grace and the King Jesus Christ is greater than anything else that can separate us. And Paul says, to the one who observes the day, observes it to honor and honor to the Lord, The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see, Paul is emphasizing here is a personal and individual nature of our relationship with God. And each one of us must walk our walk with him. And we are not all in the same place theologically. I'm going to tell you right now, this, is, this would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble, even with my own family, if I would have just accepted this and understand this. We are not all at the same place theological, theologically in immaturity. We have all different issues in our lives that shape our relationship with God. We all have different needs. We all have different issues that we all have to come to the Lord with and lay at his feet. Some of you have no business ever drinking alcohol ever again. Some of you have no business ever even thinking about being vegans. I know I don't. I love bacon too much. Some of you have no business watching movies. Some of you have no business playing online games because you get addicted to that kind of stuff and you waste too much time. Some of you need to spend more time around other people. Some of you just need to spend less time around other people. Some of you need to get out in the streets and street witness. Some of you just need to go out and share the hope of Christ with your friend. Some of you just need to shut your mouths, right, and let the Lord sanctify you a little bit before you go out and hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. 
We all have our own walk with God. We all start in different places. And what I need from God today might not be what you need from him today and vice versa. And there are things that I might need to avoid in my life that you need to embrace. But the point that Paul is making is if we, if we need, is that we need to first be convinced in our minds and hearts, right? And then what we need to do is we need to do what we do in honor and thanksgiving to the Lord. We need to live in a way that glorifies God to the best of our abilities. And it looks differently for all of us. We need to live our lives in honor and thanksgiving to the Lord. You think that the King James Bible is the best version of the text? Then read it to the glory of God. You think that that Christian heavy metal music helps you to, to worship God and get close to him? Then listen to it and play it with thanksgiving to him for it. Some of you looked at me like, is that a real thing? Yes, it is a real thing, okay? (laughs) You feel like you need to do a one-week fast every quarter of the year so that you can feel closer to God and find guidance and stuff like that? Praise the Lord, do that with thanksgiving to him. You see, it's, it's about all of us living to God to the best of our own individual ability and about recognizing that we're not, right, not, we're not all in the same place. How many of you would expect that a toddler would have the ability to get in the car and drive away? We we don't. It's a silly expectation, right? We wouldn't expect a two-year-old to be able to read the entire Bible from cover to cover. And we certainly don't expect a kid from elementary school to be able to have the ability to wire up a house and put in all the electrical uh, outlets. But somehow we then expect all of us to be on the same spot with respect to Christian maturity. You see, just because I'm a grown-up and I can do some things, I know that doesn't mean I can expect that out of little kids. And it's the same can be said with respect to our faith. Just because I understand some things and I'm maturing as a believer doesn't mean that every believer is in the same place as me because the truth is many people are not. Not to mention, as I've matured in my faith, my perspectives on some things have grown and some things have changed. There were some things I thought, you know, Sherman, you should never do again. And I find that those things are permissible. And there are some things that I felt were permissible that I realized that the Lord's like convicting me of that you shouldn't be doing those things. We need to leave room to learn and to grow and let people do the same thing. We need to allow people to become convinced in their own minds and how best they can honor and glorify God with thanksgiving. And then notice what Paul says. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brothers? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of God, of himself to God. Now there is a whole lot here in these few verses here um, and to the point where I could probably do another sermon or two on these verses. But the point I want to begin to wrap things up with that Paul is making is simply this. You need to be careful 
not to sit in judgment of our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially over peripheral um, and unessential things, because God is the judge. And we need to be careful not to try to sit in his seat. Sometimes we as Christians even want to get to the point where we want to decide who's saved and who isn't saved. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's a dangerous game to play because you don't know a person's heart. I don't. And what we need to do is we need to understand is that beyond the essentials of our faith, we need to allow people to grow and to work through the issues in, in honor and thanksgiving to God, trusting the fact that God will sort those things out. Remember, if we are in Christ, the same Holy Spirit in us indwells all other believers. And he has promised to lead us and guide us and convict us of our sin and convince us of the truth. And we need to mature enough in the faith to admit that we don't have all of the answers. We don't know exactly how God is working in the life of other believers. And and we need to confess that not only are we not to sit in judgment of our brethren, we ourselves will give an answer for what we do. I don't know about you, but I have enough of my own stuff to keep me busy there. I know that there are areas in my life I still need to grow. There are, I know that there are things that God is working to change in me. I know that I have not reached the pinnacle of Christian maturity. If you think you have, you better, you better get back to prayer and reading the Bible again. And so I have enough of my own stuff to worry about. Now, I'm not saying that we become apathetic to the essentials of our faith. If you know me and you know how I've preached for many years, that is not on the table. The essentials are foundational to us being a family. We must be unified on the essentials of our faith. And we must insist on and contend for those things. And we must call all false teachers and false converts to repent and believe the gospel. But in that, we need to recognize that our unity doesn't mean uniformity. We need to recognize that we are all different people united by a common hope in Christ. We are people from different backgrounds adopted into the the family of God. And we need to love each other and allow each other to work through and think through about the non-essential things so that they are convinced in their own minds, even if we feel strongly about some things that are different. We need to be careful to stand on the truth And we ourselves need to be convinced in our minds that we need to be careful not to bind the consciences of other people in our church family to the things that we have freedom in Christ over. Now, I want you to hear me on this. I know that this isn't easy. This is an area where we need to grow. And growth at times is challenging and it requires a lot out of us. It will require that we're committed to be become mature in our faith. It requires that growing in our understanding of God's word and growing in love for each other, no matter what the differences may be, be it our background or our skin color or our economic backgrounds or our political affiliations or the Bible translation we prefer or whether we think that people should eat meat or drink wine or watch football on Sunday after church or not. We need to be humble enough to recognize that we don't know all the answers. We have, we have not all read all the books and we have not researched all of the subjects that there is to research. We need to be humble enough to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ 
and know that he is the one who will judge everyone, including us. And finally, we need to commit ourselves to this because the love of God and the love of each other compels us to strive for unity in the family of God. We need to strive to be united with one another as members of the family of God, no matter how different we may be. And that means practically, we need to do more than just gather once a week in the same building. It means we need to spend time together. We need to invest our attention in one another. And we need to get to know one another better. And we need to find something, right, when we find something that gets in the way of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to grow and we need to pray and we need to ask God to help us to be united in sweet fellowship with one another. And we need to focus on what we have in common. And there's the, there's, there's the star of the show right there. Our minds and hearts and be focused on what we have in common, the gospel of grace and the common bond that we have in Jesus Christ. As Paul says, we are part of one another. Now, the good news is, this is where we're going next year as we grow together. We're going to focus on this unity and then how we take that truth out into the world and show the world what it's like to truly love other people and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, with that, then, how do we apply this this morning? First of all, if you're not of the faith, if you've not put your hope in Jesus Christ, if you have not repented and believed the gospel, today's the day, repent and believe the gospel. As, as the word of God says, today is the day. Now is the time. The season. Today is the day of redemption. Repent and believe. Put your faith in Christ and be saved. Second of all, if you are in Christ, then rest in him. You're not going to know all the answers. And some of the things that you're holding on to and you're passionate about, you'll probably find out one day you're wrong about some of that stuff. It happens to every one of us. We, but, but our hope isn't built on, on all of the, the things that we know for sure. Our hope isn't built on our political convictions. Our hope is not built on any of those other things. Our hope is built on Christ and him crucified. Right. And then we need to go out into the world and share the hope of Christ. We need to rescue the lost. And a big part of that, a big part of us doing that is us being committed together here as the family of God to loving each other in the radical way that God is calling us to. And, and many of you have known me for many years, and I know many of you for many years. And we have a lot of things in common, and we have some things that aren't in common. But we need to grow in that grace for one another, to be able to love each other in spite of the things we want. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world?